you, and I see a few new faces with us this morning. We're always so great to meet new people and have you join us for worship here at Trinity. We've been studying Paul's letter in the New Testament to the church in Ephesus, the book of Ephesians. It is called, and I've pointed out several times in this uh, maybe six-month study at this point how the second half of Paul's really beautiful letter of Ephesians is actually itself the inspired application of what Paul had already articulated or talked about in the first half of Ephesians, chapters 1, 2, and 3, which really contain the substance and the source of our gospel, of the good news of Jesus Christ, His life, death, and resurrection for His body, the church. The second half, chapters 4, 5, and 6, press home in very vivid ways, the, really the application of the gospel for us. You could say that doctrine dominates chapters 1 through 3, but the Christian duty uh, dominates chapters 4, 5, and 6. What Paul means by that phrase that he says, I think it's eight times in the letter of Ephesians, that we are to walk in a manner worthy of the calling of Christ. To put it another way, this morning and really of late, we've been thinking about what does it look like for us when a life uh, that is formerly dead in trans, uh, trespasses and sins, a spiritually lifeless sinner that we all once were, what does it look like when that sinner gets saved? What does it look like when we get renewed, even when we are totally renovated by the Holy Spirit of God from the inside out and through the power of the gospel? That's what we've been talking about. What changes in us? What changes around us? What changes even through us by the power of God? What happens when a home rolls out the welcome mat and invites the presence of Jesus Christ by His Spirit to lead the home? Well, that's what we've been looking like, and particularly in chapters 5 and 6 in Christian marriage and in Christian parenting and the gospel today. Last week, we noted in really the first half of the two-part uh, little mini-series, so to speak, how the Apostle Paul provided a set of corresponding or complementary commands, one to children and one to parents. We looked at the command to children last week, which is why we kept them here in the sanctuary last week. This week, we focus on parents, so everybody, everybody's head bowed and every eye closed because we're aimed at you this morning. So we've been talking about what, uh, how this command helpfully illuminates and illustrates really what a spirit-filled, spirit-directed, even spirit-saturated home looks like and feels like. Because remember, Ephesians 5.18, which commands us to be filled or controlled with the Holy Spirit, really conditions or governs everything that Paul says after that verse So, again, last Sunday we talked about the Bible's important command to children to obey your mothers and fathers in the Lord, for this is right, and honor your parents that it may go well with you. And we said last week that Christian children in particular are commanded to display or to live out their faith, their love and submission to the Lord Jesus Christ by obeying and by honoring their parents in the Lord. So that was last week. 
I said that a child's submissive obedience to parents is really a huge part of their offering to God in worship. And really, kids, it it really is. Today, in the second half of this two-part series, this two-part sermon, Paul uh, has another point, albeit a somewhat abbreviated point and word now for believing fathers and believing mothers and how we are to conduct a Christ-centered, Christ-honoring, Christ-exalting home. Whereas children were commanded by Paul, as inspired by the Spirit, to obey and honor the parents in the Lord, notice that Paul says here at the beginning of chapter 6, and particularly at verse 4, how Paul informs us that saved and therefore Spirit-filled fathers and mothers will likewise show their love for the Lord our God by taking care not to intentionally provoke and agitate their children to anger. Don't whip up your children to anger, but rather instead provide God-honoring discipline, training, and godly instruction through the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. Again, that's the simple summation of our second sermon in this series. Children, it's not complicated, but it's very hard. Obey and honor. Fathers in particular, but also mothers as well, it's really not rocket science. But again, it's awfully hard with our sinful nature. Don't provoke your children to anger, but rather invest in them, feed them spiritually, lead them to Christ, and love them well for the sake of the gospel. These are Paul's commands to us. How a Christian home truly reflects and truly uh, displays the grace of the gospel. That's what we're thinking about this morning. But I have to take just a moment of personal privilege to say to you, And I say with all sincerity that one of the greatest and most amazing blessings of my life without question has been the blessing of being a dad, of being a father to three incredible kids. You know, aside from the task of pastoring and preaching the gospel week after week now for 16 years, parenting has been the most terrifying and yet thrilling experience that God has ever called me to do. And in fact, it's a lot like uh, parenting, terrifying and thrilling all at once. Both involve a lot of patience, both involve frequent reminders, and both involve cleaning up plenty of messes that other people make. But it has been the thrill of a lifetime to be dad to Gabby and Luke and Jonah, kids, I love you, and I'm proud of you, and I'm praying God grows you to His glory in the future. But parents, let's get one thing straight. It's not always rainbows and unicorns at home. Being a good and godly Christian husband and father is hard and holy work. In fact, who is sufficient for these things if not for the Spirit of God? You know, the blessing that comes with having a family, and I know it's hard to hear these sermons because not everyone is blessed with children at home, but the blessing of having a family comes with a special burden of raising a family to love Jesus and to know Jesus. And so to my fellow Christian dads and really all parents listening this morning, make no mistake, it is not Pastor Dan's job to raise your kids. It is not the elder's job to raise your family. Dads, it is your job to raise your home to know and to love the Lord. It is every father's 
call to be a priest at home. It is every mother's call to be a prayer warrior and a support at home. That's what all of us are privileged to do, and God does something in us as we do it. To love and instruct, to correct, and to train in righteousness is a high and holy calling that we cannot farm or delegate out to anybody else. We have to step up, and we have to lead men and women well for the next generation. The famous German uh, pastor-turned-Christian martyr Dietrich Bonhoeffer, many of you know that name once famously said, it is from God that parents receive their children, and it is to God that they in turn ought to lead them. I am reminded that my wife and I, Laurie, having three children, they do not belong to us, even though I always want them to stay with us, at least uh, most of the time. They are gifts from God to be stewarded. They are on loan from the Lord. And we're to shepherd them well and and help position them well for the glory of God and for their future. But they don't belong to us. The Bible says in Psalm 127 verse 3 that children, behold, are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb, they are a reward. So it takes God's grace, friends. It takes the, the life of the living Jesus and the assistance of the Holy Spirit to raise a family that fears and honors the Lord. And this is Paul's point here at the beginning of Ephesians chapter 6. So as we dig into this text, it's just one verse. We see very clearly Paul's admonishment to Christian parents. And I'll unpack in a moment why it feels so heavy that Paul is saying something in this way to us. But the admonishment is simply this. Let me say it again very simply for us. It is our duty as parents in the Lord to help our children know and to love Jesus. We could walk off the stage at that point. That's simply the the essence of the text, friends. It is our role, Christian dad, Christian mom, to help our children to see and to savor Jesus Christ. We can't farm it out. One writer puts it this way, God is in the business of building homes. And he is on our side, or rather, we are on his, if we truly are trying to obey and follow his instructions. As I said last Sunday, God has given us a manual for raising our families. It is called the B-I-B-L-E, the Bible. Open it, use it, love it, read it, share it as a family. Parents simply stated, point your kids to Christ. Day in, day out, successes and failures point your kids to Jesus. There's nothing on earth you could give them more than a good example of what it means to love and follow Jesus. Give it to them. Now listen, it's not at all apparent. In fact, for many of you this morning, it might be a bit shocking as to why we're sitting here in the 21st century reading Paul's pretty sort of sobering words to the church. I mean, why does Paul say here, fathers, do not provoke your children. Was this a big problem? (laughs) Do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. I'll tell you, it was a big problem. There's a reason why Paul had to write this. Listen, even just a cursory glimpse into the history books of the ancient world, particularly around the time of Paul in the first century AD, when Paul was ministering and writing to various churches that God had used him to establish shows, that family life was not always a pretty picture. 
Family life was not always a pretty picture, friends. In fact, it may be hard to believe, but families in Paul's day were even more messed up and even more dysfunctional than they tend to be today. One commentator noted it was not uncommon for many men back at this time to have upwards of 20 marriages in their lifetime. Yeah. How are we doing with one? You think that fathers today get a bad rap? Just listen to the following account. It's contained in John MacArthur's commentary on Ephesians of a Roman father by the name of Hilarion. Sort of an interesting name, particularly given the quote. Heartiest greetings, wife. Note that we are still even now in Alexandria. He was on a business trip, apparently. Do not worry if when all others return, I remain in Alexandria. It would not go well if I wrote that home one day. I beg and beseech you to take care of the little child, as, and as soon as we receive wages, I will send them to you. Listen to this. If, good luck to you, you have another child, if it is a boy, let it live. If it is a girl, expose it. How would you like to have that for a father? William Barclay, another commentator that many of you have read and know, informs us of this ancient cultural phenomenon of patria potestas, patria potestas, or the father's power. He states, a Roman father had absolute power over his family. He could sell them as slaves. He could make them work in his fields. Even in chains, he could take the law into his own hands, for the law was in his own hands, and he could punish as he liked. He could even inflict the death penalty on his child. Further, the power of the Roman father extended over the child's whole life so long as the father lived, concluding by saying, a Roman son never came of age. Dr. James Boyce quotes that in his commentary. So, Again, Father knows best. This, this rosy, romantic picture we might have of 1950s and 60s television, which really took a deep dive in the 90s and the 2000s, portraying dads, this is not what the ancient world knew. And that's the bleak, even stark backdrop against which Paul wrote the words, fathers. And remember, Paul knew the word for parents. He had used it in verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. He intentionally says fathers because I think this is an outgrowth of God giving men in the home a high responsibility. Not that we are more important, not that we are to be served, but we lay our lives down in service for our families. And so Paul says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Don't take your cues from culture. Take your cues from Christ but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Apparently, this was so important, Paul wrote it to the Colossians as well. Colossians chapter 3, verse 21 is the parallel verse of this same statement where Paul says, Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Discouraged. We all know what it's like. Or maybe we do. I know I do. I'll be honest. I know what it's like to be discouraged by somebody who I love. A parent, maybe a, a thoughtless statement or comment that really digs and cuts deeply. We all know that it's so easy to do it. 
The point is that in places like Ephesus and Colossae, as we've noted already, fathers had virtually total control of their home, and they abused it. They harmed their families. They elevated themselves. They did not consider others' needs more important than their own. In many homes, they ruled with an iron fist. Paul says, we're not to be that way. We who have been saved and changed, we are to be different. Fathers in Paul's day were frequently cold, often careless, always consumed with their own sinful appetites and desires. And they seldomly cared about and considered what was best for their wife and their children. And then comes along Paul. And here comes along Christianity. Here comes along this message of radical reorienting, even reinvigorating grace and forgiveness in Christ. Just imagine what it was like to, to know that atmosphere at home and then hear this news of some new way of living, some better way of living. Here comes a religion in Christianity that is about a perfect sacrifice. Not all power and control and getting what you think you deserve, but laying down your rights and serving others. How disorienting would that be? How interesting would it be? We're told in Philippians 2, 3, to do nothing from selfish ambition or empty conceit, but in humility count others' interests ahead of our own. And so therefore, through the gospel, brothers and sisters, we understand that men are told, and women as well, to put to death our fleshly appetites by the power of faith in Christ. We are told uh, as husbands to love our wives just as Christ has loved and sacrificed himself for his church, his bride. We are told, fathers again specifically, believing fathers listening to me this morning, that we are not to intentionally agitate or provoke our children to anger, but instead to train them up in the discipline and admonition of the Lord. What accounts for such a radical and countercultural idea? God's grace, the gospel. Jesus Christ, and what he does accounts for a different way to be dad, a better way to be parents, a life-giving way rather than a life-taking way. Friend, you and I this morning, we are going to struggle as husbands and fathers. Parents, it's hard today. It's always been hard, but it's really hard today. And if we don't have Jesus, we don't have a shot. If we don't have Christ, we don't have a shot. But if we have Jesus, we have everything that we need. So look, I want you to notice with me that Paul's instructions to believing parents in verse 4 contains two parts, really two imperatives, two commands. He begins with a negative statement, and then he follows with a positive statement. And I want to unpack the rest of the message under those two points. He says, firstly, fathers, and here's the negative admonition, do not provoke your children to anger. That's clear enough. I'm going to explain, maybe give some application points in a moment, what that might look like. Fathers, do not provoke. Don't do this. Do not provoke your children to anger. 
even though some of us are really good at that, but rather instead bring them up. That word bring them up literally means to nourish them, to feed them, to care for them, or cultivate the life of God in them, in the discipline and admonition of the Lord. Now, I even hesitate to share this statistic because I think it's way, 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 way off. But in my study this week, I came across a, a bunch of different articles on parenting in the contemporary context, and, and one article suggested uh, that the average American father spends 37 seconds, 37 seconds with his child or children each day. I, need, I mean, I, I can't even begin to give that some credence. I, I think it's terribly, terribly low. But the reality probably isn't a whole lot better. Other studies showed that uh, fathers on average spend less than five hours in a week with their children out of many, many hours available. I know a lot of given to work and rest and so forth, but the fact of the matter is whatever the statistics are, and you can always make statistics tell you, tell whatever story you want to tell, is that we don't spend enough time with our children. Admittedly, as our children grow older, the demands of school stress, kids back to school now, we already start to feel it a little bit at our home as well, sports schedules piling up, digital devices clamoring and trying to call our kids away and their attention, and frankly, just the normal social and physiological development of adolescence, that those forces, huge but not insurmountable begin to build obstacles between us and our kids. We all have experienced that, haven't we? There is nothing harder than having to have, trying to have a conversation with a middle school girl. <laughs> I mean, I'm just telling you, your daughter, it's, 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 it's really, really hard. You have, to, you have to pursue. I'm so grateful for a patient daughter who let her dad figure it out. And so as I pursued we have a great relationship now, an ability to be able to talk about things that I never thought we'd be able to talk about. But it took patience, and it took perseverance, dads. It does not come easy. There is a natural detaching phase that begins to take place in what we call teenagerhood. <laughs> they are growing up and preparing to launch out. But dads, let me tell you something. Despite their body language from time to time, the grunts and the scowls and the apparent disinterest in anything that you have to say, your kids deeply love you. Your kids desperately want your time and attention. They're playing hard to get, I think, at times. And your kids absolutely need you to lead them spiritually. They need you to lead them spiritually. Too often kids are struggling and failing because we as parents are not there for them when we should be there for them. So fathers, let me give you three things that your kids need from you. Number one, our kids need our time. Our kids need our presence. Some dads falsely believe that stuff is an acceptable replacement for time. I'll just buy my way into your heart. You don't really want me I'll just buy this for you. That's a lie straight from the pit of hell. Your kids do not want, your, want stuff, maybe some of them <laughs> uh, want stuff more than they want your time, but really what they need is your time. Don't believe it. Ask any child. I would, I would challenge you to ask any child here at Trinity 
which they would rather have more, $50 or 15 minutes with their dad. And they would, I think, always take 15 minutes with their father. Dads, give your children the gift of your time. Secondly, fathers also understand what your kids need from us is they need and deserve the truth from us. We need to give them the truth. Third John verse 4 says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. We do our families and our children no favors when we deceive them or try to sugarcoat things for them. Now, we need to be discerning and patient and wise in how we communicate and what we communicate with our children. But dads, especially, listen to me. Your children need the truth, the truth about the world and the truth about God's Word. And they need it from you. John 17, 17, Father, sanctify them in the truth. Your Word is truth. Our kids are bombarded with lies and deception and falsehood all day long at school, all day long online. And they need to know that home is a refuge and a sanctuary of truth. They need it from us. In addition to our time, our kids need the truth. And where are they going to get the truth if not from mom and dad? And then thirdly, I would just add that our Children, especially as they get into their teens and their young adult years, they need to know they have our trust. They need to know that. I know that trust is easy to break and hard to rebuild. I know that. But parents, we aren't raising permanent dependents. We aren't raising boomerang children. God's called us to raise future adults. And so our kids need our time, they need God's truth, and they need a safe place to fall on their face in failure and have a parent come alongside of them and not berate them, but pick them up and tell them that it's okay, that, they, that, that your love is stronger than their failure. And guys, I'm telling you right now, kids will make mistakes. They will make huge mistakes. I speak from personal experience. Your God's love is the example for us. So our kids need our trust. Let me give you just a few examples here before we move to the second part uh, of some sorts of things that moms and dads can do to provoke their children to anger today. I'll give you four exa- examples of exasperating your child. Number one is being a helicopter parent. Maybe being overprotective, overly restrictive, uh, keeping a very, very short apron, mom, or, or, or leash, uh, whatever the uh, analogy you might want to give. Being a helicopter parent can actually uh, affect the opposite of what you desire. Wanting to be so close and so involved in every detail, every decision that you actually drive a wedge in your relationship with your child. Parents, maybe inadvertently we can provoke our children to anger by hovering too closely. And I have to admit, as a parent in the 2010s and 2020s now, it is very easy to want to be a helicopter parent, to try to save or protect our kids from colossal mistakes. But they need to know that they have some freedom, some freedom, because they have your trust. Or what about being an absentee parent on the other end? We call them latchkey kids when I was growing up. 
kids coming home to an empty home and having their own keys to let themselves in. This is maybe the error of being disengaged, even seemingly disinterested, being far too lenient and permissive for your children. That can also provoke your kids to anger. Maybe the word would be resentment there. Because you're not engaged, you don't care, you're not attentive to them. So being a helicopter parent, you would say maybe the converse is being an absentee parent, and both are problems. A third might be what I call being a buddy parent. Act your age, parents. Your kids don't need you to be their best friend. Have a great friendship with your children without a doubt. It's a beautiful relationship that develops and matures over time, but they don't want you to be their BFF. You shouldn't have to be their BFF. This would, again, maybe being too permissive or having no authority at all in the home. That can also provoke your children to anger. There's something about the protection and the security of proper boundaries that our children both need and they desire. They desire that. And then fourthly is being a bully parent, bully parenting. And that is, of course, being too harsh, too critical, too mean and severe, being heavy on authority rather than being too light on authority. All of these have at least the potential of provoking your children to anger. So again, we could summarize the first half, which is Paul's negative imperative, simply by saying that wise Christian parents will be careful not to lay such heavy, excessive, overly restrictive burdens and guidelines on their children, or on the other side, being too lax and liberal or permissive for their parents. Instead, they will promote godliness and authentic love for Jesus rather than unintentionally or perhaps even inadvertently provoking their children to anger. I hope that's helpful for you. Parents, God commands you to command your kids to obey you and honor you as they would the Lord. So be kind. Be kind. I think Paul is actually has in view still Ephesians 4, 31 and 32. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. That applies to you, sir, to you, dad, just as well. Fathers, be positive. There's always room for improvement, but you don't need to point that out so quickly all the time. Be positive. A word of encouragement can go a long way. I think God has wired most men to be, to be people who desire words of affirmation. So when we critique, when we point out where one went wrong, it takes a big chunk out of their spirit. So be mindful of that. And then thirdly, be clear. Be clear. Who has not felt the weight or the frustration of a, a, a very unclear expectation? Well, maybe that would also provoke your children to anger. Maybe you're provoked to anger in your workplace with an unclear expectation. Fathers, remember the same works. So let me give a, an important caveat or explanation um, that goes here. This does not mean in any way, I know some of you might be thinking this, that we will never upset or anger our kids. That is not what Paul is saying, that it's never okay to say no. It is okay to say no. Your child's response is really on them so long as you are conducting yourself in a holy and God-honoring way. Paul is not telling us to tiptoe around little tyrants. He's not saying that here. 
Instead, our actions and our attitudes and our expectations as believing parents, so far as they depend upon us, should generally seek to build up and not break down or tear down our kids. That's really the point of the first half of this passage. Now, here's the other side a little more quickly before we close. It was actually noted back in 1647, this is a number of years ago, in America that Christians were so alarmed at the spiritual state of the, their children that many said, if we don't stop, start worshiping at home, we're going to lose this generation. We're going to lose our kids. That was in 1647, nearly 400 years ago. And perhaps to some degree, as a society, here in America especially, we are reaping the consequences of the family altars dying out. We are losing our kids. We're losing them to the world. We're losing them to all sorts of things. Some people really love to point out the fact that Paul himself was a lifelong bachelor, that he never had any kids, therefore he has no any credibility in giving guidance and instruction for parents. That it's pretty rich of Paul to set forth such strong admonitions and instructions for parents when he himself was never called dad. Well, I would simply say to you, you don't know your Paul very well. Because while he may not have had any biological children, Paul was full of spiritual children through the gospel. And he had many people who called him dad in the faith. There are two texts in particular, 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 that come to my mind. I just want to share them quickly with you. 1 Corinthians 4, 14 and following, Paul says, I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For, those, uh, for though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then be imitators of me. Notice that Paul doesn't lob gospel grenades at the Corinthians, but he says, no, I give you love. I've given you my life as an example. Follow my example. Be imitators of me. Or what about 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 9 to 12? Paul says to that church, For remember, brothers, our labor and our toil, we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children... We exhorted each one of you and encourage you and charge you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Paul knows what he's talking about. I think he's giving us tremendous instructions and examples here. Ephesians 6 verse 4, the second part, part B we might say, gives us two big truths about what it means to train up our children in the Lord. If we want to be countercultural. We need to give our kids a Christian education. And a Christian education begins at home. On the one hand, we aren't to exasperate them. Again, Paul's culture was really keen on that. But secondly, believing parents are responsible for raising or training or nourishing their children in discipline and instruction. It is my job to share and to show Jesus to my kids. 
Parents, listen to me. If your goals as a Christian parent have more to do with what sort of college your kids get into or what sort of job your children will eventually take or even what sort of person your children will eventually marriage, if your goals or prayers or priorities for your kids major on those things more than they major on their love and knowledge of Jesus Christ, your goals are wrong. Jobs and spouses and education are important, but not ultimate. Jesus is. Keep them in the right order. It is our parental responsibility, one writer said, to enrich our children by educating them in the Lord, by encouraging them in Christ, and by evangelizing them with the Word of God. Give them Jesus, and they will love you. The French reformer John Calvin said that the positive instruction of Ephesians 6.4 means that instead of provoking our kids to anger, children should be fondly cherished. Dad, Mom, do you look at your child with great fondness? I know at the end of a long week or a long day, you could say, kids, can I just have five minutes of quiet? Maybe you're not cherishing them in that moment, but do you generally adore your children? This was uniquely and peculiarly a Christian virtue in the ancient world. Back then, again, children were viewed as commodities, really at times major inconvenient ones at that, to be dispensed with. They were not viewed as precious blessings to be cherished from God above. And so Paul's point is that Christian homes ought to be different. Our house ought to shine brightly on our street with Christian virtue. Instead of fathers self-centeredly dominating their homes or avoiding altogether their kids, they are to bring them up. The Greek word ektrepho, meaning to nourish, to bring to maturity. It's really a picture of dads getting their hands dirty in the lives of their kids. You've got to get down and dirty into the lives of your children. Simply put, it is our job as parents, supernaturally empowered by the Holy Spirit, to cultivate, even to create an environment where Jesus is welcome at home. Where Jesus is present, He's in charge, He is living large before us. The word bring them up in verse 4 is actually only used one other time in all the New Testament. And we just read it a couple of weeks ago in chapter 5 of Ephesians. It's the same word where Paul says that husbands are to nourish and cherish their wives as they do their own flesh. That's the picture here. We spend so much time and effort and resources on our kids physically, but dad, how much time and effort and resources do you expend each day or week on your kids spiritually? Investing the word of God in them. Well, notice that Paul breaks this down further into two important ways. He uses the term padea and nuthasia, the discipline and instruction, or perhaps better, warning or admonition of the Lord. The Greek word padea is used only six times in the New Testament. It is rendered discipline in our text. And let me just read the other places where it's found. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and verse 17. These are familiar words. They say, The following, all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for padea, training and righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, 
equipped for every good work. The other text is Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 to 11, where four or five times this word shows up. It's the best passage on discipline in all the New Testament, by the way. The writer of Hebrews says, And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but He disciplines us for our good that we may share His holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. The simple point, as applied to parenting, is that you, mom and dad, you are one of God's most effective tools in the sanctifying work of your kids. Not Sunday school teachers, not pastors, not uh, Christian educators, you. God has put you in their life and in their family for a purpose. This word discipline, again the word padea, refers both to correction as well as to conditioning or training which aims at the increase of virtue. Dads, we are to teach, to train, to correct, really to call up our children into Christ's likeness. The final word, the word instruction, really is maybe better rendered warning or perhaps admonition. My mom always used to say this phrase, spare the rod, spoil the child. You guys know that's not in the Bible, right? Well, Martin Luther once said, spare the rod and spoil the child. Martin Luther, the great reformer, German reformer, said that. That is true, but beside the rod, keep an apple to give him when he is done well. Both consequences and reward. John MacArthur helpfully said, the key to right discipline and instruction of children is it being from the Lord. Not discipline out of anger, but discipline from the Lord. Everything parents do for their children is to be of Him and from Him, according to the Word, by the guidance of the Spirit, and in the name of the Son. So let me conclude with just a few application questions and a little short story. Fathers, are you taking personal responsibility, personal responsibility, dads, for the spiritual temperature of your home? How do you do that? You have to pray for, and you have to pray with your children. More than a hurried blessing at supper, you need to linger long by their beds. You need to get down on your knees and grab their hands and call out to the Father together. Fathers, are you opening the Bible at home? Or is the only time they hear of Jesus and read the Scriptures when they come to church and they hear it from somebody else? Dads, I'm not trying to beat anybody up today. I want to call you up to the calling that God has for you as a Christian father and husband. Your children need to remember back one day on the voice of their own father reading the scriptures with them. Do you memorize scripture together? 
number of years ago, we put a whiteboard up in our dining room, and there's always a Bible verse on it that, that's, that's right there in front of us each and every day. Dads, are you bringing your kids to church and staying with them? Are you bringing them and belonging to the body of Christ together? May the kids that God has blessed us always have a love for the church because they remember church as a family event, not just an event for them by themselves. Are you provoking your children to anger or are you spending time taking an interest, involving them in your hobbies? I I think of the Weber family and anybody that's been to the Weber household, you know their love of trains. And I think of the memories that Dave and TJ and their family will be able to cherish together because they've had that hobby together. Find something, take an interest, and do it together as a family. Encourage your kids. When they do something well, let them know it. Don't just pump their heads up, but but love them, inspire them, encourage them. A word, a positive word goes a long way for our kids, for our children. Are you disciplining and discipling your children, or have you given up? The Bible does say a lot about uh, the rod. Proverbs 13, verse 24. Kids, close your ears. Whoever spares the rod hates his son. But whoever loves him is diligent to discipline him. It does pain us as parents, and it should pain us to discipline our children. But we know that it yields a good and godly result when it's done rightly. Proverbs 19, 18, discipline your son for there is hope. Do not set your heart on putting him to death. That is by not disciplining your son or your daughter. It was a certain young person who made it clear to his father one day as he drew near to his graduation what he wanted as a gift. And that gift was a new car. His father took him to a car dealership and he identified just the one he wanted. It was a little old, and used, but it was perfect in the young man's eyes. However, when graduation came and he was receiving the gifts... His father approached him at the very end of the party and gave him one final gift, and much to the young man's really dismay, it was not the keys to a new car, but it was a box with a Bible in it. The young man was crushed, even furious for a moment at his father. He was angry and even left for college without speaking much to his dad. Early on at college, the boy got news that his father had fallen sick. He went home to be next to his dad and sat by his bedside, and the two did reconcile. During that conversation, the father asked him how his Bible reading had been going, if he was wearing in that new Bible. And again, the young man was really kind of beside himself. Why does he need to bring up the Bible again here in this conversation when he's so sick and about to die? But soon, his father died, and the young man was asked by the pastor to read a selection of Scripture from that Bible at his father's funeral. And the week leading up to the funeral, as he began to thumb through the pages of the Bible, an envelope fell out of the Bible. And the envelope was a letter from his father, and a check for the full amount of the car that he wanted at his graduation. The the father said in this note, Son, 
I love you. And I'm very proud of you. And here is the money for the car that you desire. Enjoy it. But always remember that no gift can be more special than the Word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Fathers, give good gifts to your kids. Kids, see the gifts that your parents give you with graceful eyes. Always prioritize the Word of God, and God will bless you in the end. Let's pray together. Father, as much as we desire to have holy homes, homes that honor and exalt the Lord Jesus Christ, as much as we desire that, Lord, you desire it more. You want to bless us with a family that has a legacy of faith and dependence and trust in Jesus. And I know that because your word commands it and you equip us with the Holy Spirit to accomplish it. You sent the Son, Jesus Christ, to redeem us from all selfishness and vain conceit. So, Father, thank you for being the best dad. Help us. Help us, Lord, to honor you, to raise our children in ways that please you. What impact would be upon this church and these streets, and this town, even this county, even this entire country, if just one church got serious about raising godly kids. Oh Lord, help us. Help us to glorify you and to honor you. We're desperate for you, Lord. We give all the praise to you for your word and for your son. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.